Igor Stravinsky was a master of one-liners. These days we'd probably call them sound bites. He liked to deliver anti-romantic pronouncements like, music of itself can express absolutely nothing. He wasn't just against the idea, it seems, of the expression of emotions, but also the depiction of extra-musical ideas or images in music. He commended Bruckner, for instance, for rejecting any impulse to add a cymbal clash at the mention of cymbals in his setting of Psalm 150. When Stravinsky came to the same point in his setting of that psalm, in the finale of his Symphony of Psalms, he made an almost deliberately perverse point of avoiding any percussive triumphalism. In fact, the music suggests the extreme opposite, but with exquisite results. The opening of Stravinsky's ballet Petrushka is worlds away from the austere purity of Symphony of Psalms, and especially in its original 1911 version that we'll be hearing in this concert. The scene painting here, the kind of thing the older Stravinsky abjured, is extravagantly vivid. The scene is Shrovetide. It's the beginning of Lent in the old Tsarist Russia. The great annual fair is on, a popular fair. It's a bright, clear day. You could say you hear that in the music. There's a suggestion of lively birdsong on the flute, but also it's early in the year and we're quite far north, so it's probably pretty cold. That too comes over in the freshness of the colours and textures. At the same time, you can imagine that the air is beginning to fill with distinctive odours, the smell of horses, fried onions, tobacco, crowds pressed close together. Absolutely no lack of atmosphere in that music. All human life is here, and not just human life. A peasant leads a bear on a chain. We hear a shrill piping on two clarinets from the peasant, while the bear's anguished bellows are registered by the tuba. Clearly the poor bear doesn't like it. And notice how Stravinsky suggests the terrified crowd quickly scattering at the beginning.
There are gentler sounds in this fair too. A woman appears playing a bright, tinkling music box. This is the only case I know of of a forehand duet for Celeste. You wouldn't have thought there was room at a Celeste for two people. The music box and a barrel organ play together, but the rhythms of the tunes are slightly out of phase. Then a piping tune complicates the matter still further as a dancer joins the melee. Pictorialism ranges from the almost literal to deeper kinds of characterization. Here's someone playing a squeeze box, the kind of thing Russians call a bayan. Stravinsky imitates the mechanical sucking and blowing of the accordion. And then we move on to something fresh in more senses than one. Accordion sounds flow into the wet nurses' dance. You can almost sense the maternal warmth of the bodies and the scent of milk. We have wonderful flowing patterns on four bassoons. When Stravinsky revised Petrushka in 1947, he arranged the score for a more manageable-sized orchestra with the standard 12 woodwind instruments, that's three of each group, instead of the 16 that he used in the original. Now, this made sound commercial sense, and in 1947 Stravinsky had had enough of pirated editions of his works selling widely in his adopted home of the USA. It made sense for him to offer a more economical alternative. But that also meant the loss of some colours. The four bassoons of the original are no longer possible. There are just three now, so Stravinsky opts for a more conventional scoring, clarinets and bassoons. He added some hard trumpets and took out the smooth, flowing legato lines. It's staccato now, and it's also maybe not quite so flavoursome. Changes like that incensed Stravinsky's advocate, the conductor Ernest Ansemet. What has this staccato passage to do with the soft flesh and typical movements of the nurses, he complained. Stravinsky seems to want to forget that his music, or at least this passage, was originally derived from a definite subject. But that's the point. Stravinsky in 1947 did want to forget that definite subjects were behind his music. 
After the Second World War, progressive musical fashion moved very emphatically against illustrative music, against any taint of romanticism, and Stravinsky was keen to be seen to be up to date. So it's no surprise to find him in the revised 1947 version, representing Petrushka in harder, more analytic and less evocative colours. Generally, the changes are subtle, but they add up, and some are quite distinctive. Take what's probably Petrushka's most famous tune, a little fanfare melody for the entry of one of the principal characters, the puppet of a ballerina, with whom the hapless Petrushka is in love. Here's a taste from the familiar 1947 version. So how different is the 1911 original? Well, in the notes, not at all. But in 1947 score, we have conventionally three trumpets. In the original, we have two trumpets and two cornets. Not only is this a larger section, but it offers an interesting colour contrast. The cornet is often considered more vulgar, more brassy, and more sentimental than the purer orchestral trumpet. Or you could say that it has a sort of more robust sweetness. So in 1911, the ballerina is not so bright and pure. She has, you might say, a slightly more brassy beauty. When it comes to the plot, what we have in Petrushka is a story within a story. In the middle of the crowded human life of the fair in all its raw vitality, we have a puppet theatre. But it's no ordinary puppet theatre. Three puppets, the ballerina, whom we've already met, the moor, a stock villain, and Petrushka, the clown puppet. The name Petrushka in Russia means either Little Peter or Parsley. It's not exactly dignified. And as the music makes clear, it isn't a dignified role that the puppets have to play. All three of them enter to a jerky dance. It doesn't sound quite real. You can almost hear the strings being pulled and the not-quite-human movements. Stravinsky uses the piano, his own instrument, brilliantly there to heighten that jerky effect. The piano is an important soloist in Petrushka, and there's some beautiful writing for it. But here, the piano writing is awkward to play, those big blocks of chords rapidly following on each other, so that gives a brilliant sense in itself of the jerky, artificial puppet movement. There follows a complete puppet show, but then it all starts to get rather strange. We enter the world of those 19th century masters of the surreal and uncanny, E.T.A. Hoffman, perhaps, or the Russian Nikolai Gogol. We're not standing with the crowd now. We're more in a kind of dream, 
looking into the cabinets within the theatre where the puppets are kept. A door is flung open and Petrushka is booted onto the stage. The door slams behind him. Each movement is registered like one of those brilliant Scott Bradley scores for Tom and Jerry. poignant little touch there in that pathetic wailing bassoon figure. It's marked lamentoso, lamenting in the original. Interestingly, that word was removed in the 1947 version and accents were added. Here, perhaps we sense Stravinsky keen to remove that original element of pathos. Petrushka curses the boot that kicked him and all the other forces that treat him as, well, just a puppet. But it's clear this puppet is alive and with real, powerful feelings. We learn more about this when the ballerina saunters in to two very simple, almost nonchalant bars on the piano. Then Petrushka is inflamed. There's a huge crescendo. And as the ballerina leaves, the solo clarinet registers Petrushka's anguish. Again, we really get the picture here. It's real pain, surely. And again, this is underlined in the original version of Petrushka. The notes and the orchestration are exactly the same in both versions of the score, 1911 and 1947. But when it comes to that final clarinet outburst, the 1911 version says lamentoso assai, very lamenting. But in 1947, there's not a hint of lamentoso and no molto ritardando, no big slowing down. Stravinsky even quickens up the last two notes. It's as though the older Stravinsky is saying, don't linger, don't make too much of this. The supple ebb and flow of real feeling is removed in the revision. Instead, we have a sense of distance, alienating distance. Yet in 1911, in that original version, Stravinsky clearly thought differently. Those expression markings suggest that he really wanted pathos. The older Stravinsky seems to want to forget that he ever felt like this. However, there's that surviving original score reminding us that once he thought quite differently. This is still more striking when we see the ballerina and the moor dancing together, heightening Petrushka's pain and rage. In 1947, we have trumpet and flute. In the original, we have cornet and flute. 
1947 version is marked Ben Cantabile, well sung. But that's pretty anonymous in comparison with 1911, Cantabile Sentimentalmente. Stravinsky almost seems to relish the slight ludicrousness of that final, long, polysyllabic word. And the sentimental cornet tone surely gives us an insight into Petrushka's disgust. We can imagine his sneers as the two lovers intertwine balletically. Eventually, Petrushka attacks the moor, but the moor easily wins and throws Petrushka out. Darkness falls, and we're suddenly out in the Shrovetide Fair again, with all those sounds of teeming, minning life. Everything builds to a huge climax. We have a sense of life bursting at the seams, a primal energy that's almost too much. It's an ecstasy in the ancient pagan sense. Here we're looking forward to Stravinsky's next ballet, The Rite of Spring. But something truly terrible seems to have been happening off stage. Cries break through on trumpets and cornets. The moor chases Petrushka onto the stage, with the ballerina trying to restrain him. The moor strikes Petrushka with his sabre, and Petrushka falls, his head broken. There's a moment of horrified stillness, and this is so effective in Stravinsky's score. The people at the fair wonder fearfully if this is part of the show or if, horror of horrors, it could be real. Then Petrushka dies. We have shivering string tremolos and lamenting phrases on clarinet, bassoon and that most romantic of sounds, the solo violin. Here again, it's very striking what Stravinsky did in his 1947 revision. There, the clarinet, bassoon and violin solos are marked just dolce, sweetly. In the 1911 original, there's a much more pointed dolcissimo, very sweet, and dolente, full of sorrow. What these later revisions suggest to me is an objectifying and depersonalizing of Petrushka. It's as though Stravinsky in 1947 is saying, it's just a puppet, there's no real pathos here. It's still a brilliant score and very enjoyable. But in dealing with the original, one senses something deeper, something more human that comes out. It's something to do with a balance that Stravinsky struggled with all his life which intensified later. He might have gone on insisting that music of itself can express nothing. 
Yet the same Stravinsky, when on his deathbed, apparently shrank from hearing Tchaikovsky's pathetic symphony, the Pathos Symphony. It was all too raw and immediate. If in 1947 the human beings in the Shrovetide Fair are transformed into puppets, in the 1911 version the puppet emerges as a masked human being. It's a very poignant situation, the rejected suitor, unloved and unlovable. Now we're on dangerous ground here, but Stravinsky himself was a bit of an ugly duckling, quite unlike his handsome, brilliant and dashing older brother, who was very much preferred by his parents. Stravinsky admits in his own autobiography that this caused him grief, a grief that had to be confronted and mourned in adult life. So it leaves us with a question. Did the younger Stravinsky identify with Petrushka? Did he step out emotionally with him in 1911 and later, in 1947, try to cover his own tracks? <laughs>